everyone, and welcome to the House Conspiracy Podcast, a show about the house and on the house. I'm Jonathan O'Brien, and I'm the founding creative director at House Conspiracy. Today, I'm talking to Jeanette Stock, who is an artist and a biochemist. We talk a lot about science and about her background and about how she's taken her analytic brain and applied it so successfully to a creative practice. Jeanette is a gem, and she knows what she's talking about, and this is a valuable conversation in which I've learned a fair bit. Now, before we begin, regular housekeeping. As you're probably used to by now, you know you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, and you can visit us at houseconspiracy.org to learn more about our artists and to see how we can support you. Also, join our mailing list. It's worth it. Now, you've probably heard of a little thing that we're working on behind the scenes called The Conspirator, which is the full-color, fully professional publication we'll be putting out in late April, uh, featuring the work of every single one of House Conspiracy's artists. That's over 90 artists inside the one book, and we can't wait to show it to you. Uh, So for now, please, please check out where it's up to on the House Conspiracy website. Head on over, look at it. It's beautiful, and we can't wait to share it with you. Now, on to the show. Jeanette has spent her residency split across two locations. One, Studio One, House Conspiracy, and two, Hall's Jewelers. At the jewelers, Jeanette observes and records a man named Ian as he repairs watches. Jeanette's practice itself is focused on repetition and on meticulous detail, and that's really what, in essence, a watchmaker's practice is, a rhythmic de- and reconstruction of a complex object, time and time again. And Jeanette's drawings flow in a similar way to this practice. They're repeated, they're time-based, and from a distance, the way she flows with ink and paint makes the images blend together to look like one continuous line, blurring its subjects together. The work is beautiful and considered, and you can find yourself staring at it until, yeah, time itself dissolves. But before I talk her up too much, here's Jeanette Stock. So Jeanette, yeah. um, you're here at House Conspiracy, and you're sort of interesting insofar as you are a scientist and an artist and there are a lot of people who sort of skirt that um that sort of liminal space but you literally practice as both yeah um so maybe let's begin because obviously we're going to get into art let's begin maybe tell us about your science practice you're a postdoc researcher at uk yep so i've been working there for too long um but i have um uh, so I did my science degree in the 90s and um, loved science research, got into that and um, did my PhD after that, straight after that. Like a lot of a lot of science kids do that. They'll go straight through from degree to um, PhD. So I then got a postdoc in uh, America, which was great. Like I moved to California um, and I lived there for three years and such a nice place to work and I, yet... Yes, and I also moved in with a great lab. I think people underestimate the like the space that you have to work in. So they think it's all research and all that sort of stuff, but the people and the personalities and all that sort of stuff is just as important to to sort of inspire you to keep on working in research, I think. And what what is your field? Uh, I'm chemistry is officially my field. I'm more of a biochemist, so I work with proteins and I'm interested in chemical reactions that proteins and enzymes do. 
So, for example, the, P, the sorry, the protein that I work with the most is called a P450. Mm-hmm. And Sexy name. Yeah, exactly. Like with scientists, they come up with something really boring. What is this? We'll just call it a number. Um, <laughs> so uh, that's... That's interesting for people because it's the enzyme that keeps your liver going, essentially. And so if you eat something that's um, nasty or your body doesn't know what to do with it, it sticks an oxygen on there, which is what that enzyme does, and then it can excrete it out of your body really quickly. So it's just making it more water-soluble, essentially. And, of course, they're very popular in nature. So there's, like, so many P50s in every organism in in that living organism, essentially, like there's, um, so there's about oh, 90 or so, oh, sorry, about um, 50 or so in, in people, in humans, mm-hmm. and then every other a- animal has them, and they do a similar thing, they, they, they put oxygens on things, essentially, and make things more water-soluble. And so are you looking into them, sort of, to understand them further, to work out whether they have any utility? Uh, yes, so... Um, it's a, because it's such a hard reaction to do from a chemist's point of view, so a purely synthetic chemist that does everything in the lab, that these enzymes are very do something very hard, like they do it really easily, that it would take like a pure chemist to do, it would be quite a hard reaction. So it's, it's an interesting reaction from a pure science point of view because it's, it's made something really simple, uh, um, you know, so something really hard, really simple. So... Um, so some people have been studying just the reaction for years. We're more interested in um, the compounds that it, that it makes. So how can we use these these enzymes to make these um, like steroids and all sorts of other things? And then you can then apply that knowledge to making steroid drugs on that sort of stuff. So um, that's probably where we're coming from. Probably a bit of both. Like my boss loves knowing how things actually work. So the mechanisms of stuff, but then you've also got that um, uh, stuff about like how can we use this in in the world? How can we use these sort of like technologies essentially and apply them to making synthetic drugs, but in a nice nicer way? So when you're using enzymes, it's sort of like um, you're not using nasty chemicals. You're getting bacteria to do all your hard work. So you sort of engineered the bacteria to do something easily, and that's a lot of lot nicer to the environment you're not using all those nasty chemicals and stuff like that and it's nicer to the person ingesting or taking the drug as well uh well it's this is more before you get like just to make the drug oh okay I yeah. Understand. yeah yeah so there's a lot oh i mean pharmaceutical companies like spend a lot of money making lots of different types of drugs yes and they're trying to find simpler and nicer ways of making it and cheaper ways of making those same drugs so enzymes are very popular because that's a that's a sort of a nicer way than using these very sort of like uh, chemical synthetic techniques, which can be quite nasty. And nasty and expensive, lots of waste, lots yes, of yes. money to just waste. I yes, understand. Yes. So, so your process is actually sort of a bit earlier or further down the production line yes. is what you're sort yeah, of focused yeah. on. So, yeah, so lots of universities are more in that space of trying to work, find the technology that might be useful for further down the line. Like I've never worked at, at a pharmaceutical company. Well, I sort of have. but um, So I've never worked at that sort of cutting edge where you're actually trying to apply this stuff. We're sort of more trying to work out what's going on um, at like and work out whether we could use those techniques or discovering those things yeah mm. and there's something there's something quite interesting sort of in the in this shift 
towards trying to use sort of natural based processes in yep. development. And we're seeing that sort of even in design, we're seeing yep. it in a lot of sort of different areas. Yeah, that's right. And they call, well, they, you know, the, the nice name or the fancy new name is green, green chemistry. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to work out how to make things greener, especially like chemistry labs, yeah, are just horrible for the amount of waste that you produce and all that sort of stuff. So Because every yeah. reaction has well, a precipitate that you've got to get rid that's of. That's right, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's one of the first things I have to tell the students I have in my lab. It's like, you're going to have to throw out gloves at a high rate. You have to get used to this. You've used them. They've got bacteria on them. You need to get rid of them and put another pair on. And that's a hard thing to learn because you're, you live in a society where you recycle and, mm. yeah, that's right. But it becomes sort of necessary and I guess you... you a necessary you, evil, I suppose. Yeah. Do you live sort of... Like, is the way of reconciling that to sort of go, right, this is what's necessary in order to sort of find the pro the progress that will hopefully make yeah, this not necessary right. anymore. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, that's really interesting and ties in quite nicely to your art practice in that, to me, it seems that in your science practice, you're very much focused on a, a very micro moment, a very micro moment of reaction and mm-hmm. tinkering and yeah. playing. And that's sort of where you sit in your art practice a little bit. Tell me a little bit about time-based drawing and your sort of technique because it's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, well, I came to it, uh, I did these draw- these drawing classes in second year and, and um, drawing and dancing seemed to be a big thing. Like we we kept on seeing all these these drawers playing with ballet dancers and stuff, and so it occurred to me that it's actually quite interesting what scientists do behind. Like you never see that stuff. You see the numbers, you see the the graph at the end. You don't actually see the physical nature of science. And I think, and because you don't see the physical nature, it's sort of like, especially from an outsider's point of view, it becomes very like. Um, cold and clinical and and so scientists have that sort of reputation and I thought actually it's quite an, a physical thing that you're doing in the lab in the lab and so that's how why I started thinking about how could I connect those two things together and also for a long time I've been thinking of how so I used to be very like science is over here art is over here two separate things never going to merge but you realize that actually I've been working in science for years and I think like a scientist and I approach the world like a scientist and I have, you know, you, you, you work out things because you've been trained as a scientist and so my scientific thinking is sort of so ingrained in me that it's sort of interesting to see play how you can apply that to like something like drawing, something that's a lot freer and different to, um, uh, yeah, to science in this, in its, essentially. So that's why I that's why I sort of tried to do these time based things because because um, I really wanted to like investigate the action like what is go- what is going on but not in, but sort of remembering that I'm a scientist but I'm also an artist so how do you sort of like balance those two things so um, that's how I got interested in it and it sort of expanded from there and then yeah kept on playing. Mm. I, I, in fact, that's sort of, I sort of want to backtrack a little bit there. You sort of yeah. touched on it, but what led you to initially sort of returning to study another be- another bachelor's oh, in finance? Oh, um, so uh, actually when I, first, when I started back at UQ, 
I enrolled in a, a TAFE, a night TAFE course um, that was drawing. I was so scared. I can still remember <laughs> being so scared walking into that. Um, and it, we were doing drawing and painting and I'm still good friends with the, my drawing and painting teachers from that. Um, so you, like two nights a week you'd just go to TAFE and you'd do drawing and painting and just it was just relearning how, all that sort of thing. I think I, I, it's, I've always loved art. I've been... My mother is a crazy craft lady. So all those sorts of things, I mean, I've been drawing since I was a little kid, but I think when I got to high school, I just went, oh, well, serious people do. And I was good at science and math, so I just followed that. Um, so I followed that sort of go to university, do science. I mean, I love science. So it's, it was one of those things I can't, I can't imagine going straight from school to art school. <laughs> so... Uh, TAFE was great. It was like, I used to say it's like going to another country. It was like, because, um, uh, you know, like when I got to America, it was sort of like learning, all, you know, what Americans do and all that sort of stuff. When I walked into the art world, it was like, it was like going into another country. Like it was learning a whole new world and it was, I just had so much fun. People are great. People are always a big influence in um, my decisions and also, I, yeah, so I, I was at TAFE for five years. Yeah, wow. I, was doing, I did it part-time and I was like doing one or two subjects a semester. My boss let me like off for a day to go off to TAFE and I'd make up that time like on a Saturday or something and um, got to the end and went, I can't stop doing this. So, um, and then decided to go off to QCA and, and keep on going. So you mentioned sort of, how positive it was, but you also mentioned like how much you had to learn and what the differences were. Oh yes. T- tell me, tell me about sort of coming coming into art as a scientist. Like, obviously, it's made you you know uh, your practice be incredibly striking and great, and we'll talk about that. But yeah. in terms of sort of personally, what were yeah. some of the not necessarily shifts you had to make, but what were some of the the new sort of processes of communication and interaction that were different to the scientific community? Uh, being literal is something that I think was a big one because I still have it now. It's like, am I being too literal? Because that's the way you're, you're trained to be rational, literal, to communicate something clearly. And um, I think that was the biggest thing at, at TAFE. I used to think he'd give us instructions to do a task. We'd all do it and you'd have 20 different interpretations of that task. And in my head I'm like, but hang on, you've all done it wrong and I've done it the right way because that was the way, you know, that was way, oh, that's the way I interpreted it because I thought that was the most true to what he would instruct. And so that was, I think that was a big uh, process of unlearning, that sort of being so literal and, and um, yeah, I, I think that for, that was one big thing. Um, and also sometimes just turning your brain off, which uh, nearly never happens for me. So... So it's turning it off and on, like it's sort of you don't have to be always completely um, switched switched on in a sense where you like. And I have been accused of being too academic, so so but not you, a bad accusation <laughs> to suffer, I don't think. But yeah, yeah, that's sort of it's very that's one of those things that sometimes you have to go. Okay, let's just go with the flow than being too like yeah too academic or too literal or yeah, and their processes of. I want to say unlearning or just learning to use in the right context, I think is probably a better way of putting it. Because I don't think I've unlearned them in a sense. You just go, okay, that's not going to work here. So let's just, yeah. And of course, 
Um, oh, yes, the people you meet in art are going to be like poles apart to the people that you meet in a science lab. Yeah. yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's completely different. I mean, even if you look at sort of correlations across sort of big five personality, yeah. the kind of people who end up in science and the kind of people who end up in art are just different. Yes. But I still, this is complete aside, but I still think that you get more of a variety in art. Like it, it feels like, you get a, a sort of a, a, a neater subset in science. Do yeah. you think that's partly because the people in science that you interact with are the people in science who have gone on to do postdoc research? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah that's. But even little things like you get to uni and you watch the same geeky TV shows or that sort of thing. It, it's that it's that sort of and you bond over like board games or whatever. Like there, there's something that's a little bit more. I'm like cohesive, mm-hmm. whereas art, you meet the weirdest, wackiest, most wonderful people from all walks of life that just art is the common thread, and yet you, I would never have met them in, in my former life, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I actually started in a computer science degree yeah. a few years ago back at uh, QUT, and yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's, it's very much like you know which touchstones you'll be able to make with yep, people yep, in science, yep. whereas... In art, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I, as a, like an older person in, in the science, in a lab, which like universities are very young people, so most of the people you're working with, apart from the professors and stuff, are under the age of 25, I'll still sit there and go, I would have done, like there's, I just, there's still some things that I know I'm exactly the same personality. They're just 20 years younger and they might be, but still same, same cultural references and stuff. And so I, you can connect with them a lot easily easily because you were like you were that geek at 20 so <laughs> it doesn't change that much yeah and, and 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 also i think maybe part of it and we'll stop maybe we'll stop pontificating but i think Sorry, part, yeah. no, 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 no 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 it's not you it's me um uh I, I i don't like to do too much of the talking but because yeah my parents are both in in that sort of sector yeah i, I think part of it might be also like the, the reason it's predictable is that for uh, scientists, the career path is more yeah. maybe defined, whereas for artists, it's like... That's right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's very... and it's. Uh, I realise I just did a hand gesture on a <laughs> podcast, but imagine that. It's, uh, it doesn't matter. It's a <laughs> hard... Well, science is a hard... It's a hard gig, in, especially in Australia. Like, it, it, it's a very specific niche market, and it's a very... I mean, yeah. What's particularly hard about it? Um, it is it, like art. It's all grant driven. Yes. So, and there's, there's no money. So if you want to work in industry, there's not a lot of industry in Australia. So it's, and if it is anywhere, it's going to be in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, so if you do want to work in the industry, you know, it's better to go overseas. So you sort of research, you've, you've limited, limited it, limited to research and then, um, and then you've got limited positions, academic positions, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like it's just, it's very small. Does CSIRO count as industry or is that public sector? Oh, I actually don't know. Because that's know Brisbane. Why that, yeah, the, there's yeah, Brisbane yeah. CSIRO. But that has yeah. been sort of gutted recently. It has been so. gutted, yeah. I've had some. My mum was a botanist for yeah. CSIRO for many years. But yeah. yeah, a lot of her friends have shifted out yeah, yeah. from there after the, yes, the yeah. great gutting of the Abbott years. It was <laughs> the Abbott years, wasn't it? Where the... Oh, it's been really recent. Yeah, yeah, I think Abbott and yeah. Abbott and then Turnbull furthering it, yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Anyway, before, <laughs> before we fall into the politics of funding no, for the sciences. And yes, but yeah, that's yeah, what it's like. Where, where it'll just be us agreeing and yes, probably exactly. not saying anything that... Preaching to the choir. Yeah, that anyone <laughs> hasn't read in the Sydney Morning Herald. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I jumped to that paper. Uh, <laughs> shout out to the Sydney Morning Herald. Um, I would like to ask you about what you're doing here. Okay. I know you're working with Ian from Hall's Jeweler down yeah. the way. Um, and I want to know what you're doing with him and why. Okay. I will backtrack a little bit. Yeah, it's so, super backtrack. <laughs> so I, um, last year I got this really good gig to um, uh, be involved in this uh, tra- the Trades Biennial, which is this thing where um, uh, they put artwork in shops and businesses around West End. So um, so they get really high quality art from artists and um, like fam- usually famous Brisbane artists. They put them in, in shops and you can go and have like do a little trail around West End and see all the art. Nice, it's like great. an art walk. Yes, like an art walk. Yeah, it's great. Um, and they had the two years prior to when I did it, they had a guy um, do these, I wish I could remember his name, these tape, sort of tape drawings on the front of the shop. So that sort of like a little indicator that there was, there was art inside that shop or that business. So you could go in and have a look. Um, and so I got um, asked to do some sort of similar thing. So I got to do some artwork on the outsides of the shop. So um, so I got so I did these drawings where I I asked the people um, who were, whose businesses it was to take some photos of them doing something, and then turned them into these sort of like time drawings and then stuck them on the or drew them onto the outsides of the shops. So so I had been uh, so I'd had sort of contact with some of the businesses around um, West End, and um, so that was great. That was a great opportunity and like very exciting. So this year or last year? Oh, the La- last year, 2017. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, so in that process, like, yeah, as I said, I got to know some people and then I was thinking, I do love this, this idea of this time-based drawing and looking at people's actions and especially these hidden actions that you don't see. Um, like a, that, you know, it came from science, but it's very applicable to stuff like um, people repairing your watches or people baking your bread or all that sort of stuff. They're things that you don't see. You only ever see the product at the end. So, so I thought, oh, well, I'll, I really liked um, – um, Ian was friendly. I thought he'll be probably up for me taking some more video <laughs> and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I just went back and said, is it okay if I can do some more drawings on, on, on you? And he said, yeah, that's, that's fine. So, um, yeah, so I just went in there and took some more photos and, and film and stuff and I've been playing with that, like, in a very scientific way in my Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> is, it, is it the scientific brain in you that attracts you to these sort of very detailed, process-heavy... I, it probably is, yeah. I, I do like detail, so I think that sort of... Yeah, I think it is, because I, I, I do have a big lazy in my head too, so I'm like... I always think of these projects and then try and talk myself out of them. <laughs> like, you know that's going to take you two weeks. <laughs> it doesn't seem to have stopped you, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably good. No, exactly. Like, I, yeah, by the time I the, – the, usually the first idea is the one I go back to, but, yeah. I, I just find – it's just fascinating. Like, I still – I can sit there and look at some of those photos in sequence for ages because it's just fascinating, these little in, incremental movements and stuff. 
and you just think of that all that is sort of you know fixing a watch or you know it's it's producing something but that movement is quite poetic in a sense when you start looking at it yeah I think that's why I I went what well, I decided to do this looking at scientists movement because I, I realised that there's a lot of this beautiful repetition in, in, in the movement that they're doing because they're often doing things over and over the same way. And so that is actually quite interesting, that sort of rhythm or that repetition in what they're doing. And, and he's obviously doing something very similar to like somebody in a lab in that sense. It's sort of like that sort of rhythm of movement that they're doing. And that's and then if you think back to the sort of the, the dances and all that sort of stuff, it might not look beautiful when you when um, like a dancer, you're not you don't go and pay to watch the watch guy repair your watch, mm. but yeah, it's still there's still something quite beautiful and and um, yeah, the rhythm. I think that's the yeah, and thing about I like. about it being in motion too. Yes, that's yeah. Because yeah. there, there, are, there are often many things in this world where you take a photograph of something and it's not beautiful at all. Mm-hmm. But it's, yeah, it's the movement yeah. of it. Although yeah. I'm sure the watch shop is probably gorgeous and has <laughs> all sorts of things hanging from the wall and would actually yeah. make nice photographs. Does well, it? yeah, he, well, the back of his shop is quite interesting because there's stuff all over the, all over the place. Like um, he had, you know, a watch that needed repairing that he'd pulled apart that was just sitting there and all that sort of stuff. But it's sort of that the same thing that, you know, your your opus or your grandfather's shed is interesting because mm. it's just this clutter of yeah. Yeah. Stuff. Yes, yeah. my grandfather had had the same sort of <laughs> had the same sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, I miss that shed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably don't miss the naked ladies, but <laughs> the naked ladies. Yes, yes. So my opa had the naked ladies up in the sort of back corner. <laughs> oh, like pinups? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, while he's uh he's screwing oh. away. <laughs> <laughs> in the back shed, yeah. Yeah. As it goes. Um, you also have worked you've created works uh like eight hour drawing, which yep. was a sort of mechanical mechanically produced work, correct? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I'm also very interested in like how that sort of how you can turn yourself into a machine, but how that is never going to quite work. Like, mm-hmm. like you know, the sort of scientific thinking with a machine that's not going to be you can't you can't control all the variables, and so how that's quite interesting to try and do that. So that was a, that was a fun drawing. I'd love to do another one of those. Um, it sounds like a lot of hard work, but the people kept me going. So you're watching people go by, and because I'd invited them to come and have a chat with me, so they would come up and have a chat, and I'd switch. If I was talking to someone, I'd just switch to red pen and start. Um, Doodling. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, was more, it was more like, okay, I'm just following the movement of their hands or whatever. But um, that was I got to the end of that day, and I was so exhausted and sat on such a high and just reminds me that I'm a people person. So just all that interaction was had just fed the whole drawing. And you um, say you are or you aren't a people person? Oh no, person. I am a people yeah, person. Yeah, no, I was gonna yeah. say I thought you said you weren't. I was like, huh? No, no, I not am, in my yeah. experience. <laughs> yeah, I've done I did so uh, one of the ones I did for uni, it was an eight hour drawing where I drew my face every five minutes for eight hours. Yeah, wow. That I, yeah, that, that was near suicidal by the end of it. And I couldn't figure out, like, I was like, why was that so bad? And it, not the, you know, my face was, I looked like a pretty old lady by the end of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the bit, was like it the way I was just shakier yeah. and. Well, 
Yeah, completely different. And then sometimes where I got really relaxed and just went, I don't care what I look like. And it was just a very interesting series of drawings. But yeah, I finished that and went, oh, you idiot, you've just wasted a day and you can't present this for uni. This is crap. Like I was that so depressed. And I think it was just that solitude of... Oh, so you did that on your own? I did that on my own. Yeah, brutal. And so I knew, so this was the second time I'd sat down for eight hours and that was completely different. Like I had, didn't realise how much energy I was getting from the people that were around. And even at the end of the day when I was exhausted, I was still like still having fun. So, so when you were sat in the room drawing your own face, were you drawing from memory? Was there a mirror? No, yeah, I was staring, no, I was staring at a mirror. Yeah, no, that would drive you crazy. <laughs> eight hours of that. Mm. <laughs> I get nervous when I see my reflection in my laptop screen. <laughs> It was fascinating. Like it, I learned a lot about myself. Yeah, and, tell, tell me a yeah. bit about that. What <laughs> what what does that what did that do to you, sort of psychologically? Um, Other first than sort of, of all, leave you burned out. It, it, yes, yes. Uh, I got to the end of it thinking I was like that. I was well. First of all, you go through that whole like, am I beautiful? Am I not beautiful? Actually, this is an interesting part of your face. You've never like all that sort of stuff. So you go through that sort of very superficial stuff and then yeah you get to the pit where I'm like I don't care what I look like like you know you start scribbling and so we were I was trying to really investigate how your drawing gets distorted by what's going on in your head and and that sort of thing so we were trying to look at how you know trying to put myself in a position where I would just go okay this is what am I going to do if I'm forced to be staring at my face for eight hours Yes, it was. Um, I'd, I'd have to definitely get in the right mental state again. But you, it was fascinating looking back. Like the next day, I woke up and I looked at those, started looking at the drawings, and just went, "Oh my goodness!" Like uh, the stuff I could see about my stuff. Like you learn a lot about yourself. Like the, just the way I was drawing, just the way I was drawing myself. Like at the start, where I thought, "Oh, you know, you're pretty ugly." So you sort of that feeds into it, and then after a while, you start looking for for different things in your face. Yeah. Yeah, because it's ninety six faces. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a lot of faces. <laughs> See, while you were talking there, I did the math. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. It was and some of them blur into each other, and mm-hmm. some of them int- and you actually some of them I improved. You could see my drawing was improving. So like. Like I was really concentrating, so my drawing actually was pretty crap at the beginning. Whereas I sort of like because I was drawing the same shapes the whole time, it sort of improved. And then after a while, you try and make it interesting by moving your face down, up, round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Very so it's, interesting. It not only is it how you engage with yourself, but it's how you engage yourself. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of layers to that sort of thing. Um, yeah. Did you did you pen an essay about that experience or anything as no, well? No. No, Just I'm not a writer. <laughs> I'll avoid writing it any. I didn't. I did try and like record what I was thinking beforehand and what I was thinking afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did write. I probably did write a little bit for my um, for my journal at the time. But I'm a slacker when it comes to I, writing. Is like torture for me. So, yeah. That's one one skill I do not have. <laughs> that's that's okay. I know a lot of writers <laughs> who say writing is like torture for them. Um, yeah, God, that that process, yeah, that fascinates the hell out of me. Another thing that 
fascinates me. Um, another element of your work, as we sort of go yeah, through yeah. The, the bullet points, is this uh, embroidery technique called hardanger. Yes. Is that the correct pronunciation? Hardanger, yeah, yeah. Hardanger, I yeah. probably don't pronounce it right. Um, yeah. Hardanger. It's Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, t- tell me about hardanger and, again, like very detail-oriented yes. process. What yes. drew you to, to that and what is it, I guess, is maybe a good place to start also. Okay, so um, I reckon this is probably about 50% of my art practice. Um, uh, this came out of work from TAFE. So uh, my grandmother, my mother, as I said, my mum's crazy craft and sewing and all that sort of stuff. And so when, when was this? Probably mid-90s onwards, Hardanger became really, really popular within, like, embroidery circles. And so everyone was doing it. My grandmother, my Alma, just went crazy. She did a lot of this um, this embroidery. And it's like a white-on-white or yes, so it's very. It's so you're not using color, and it's, so you're making these doilies essentially. Um, so when I was so so as I said, like I I know a lot of I know a lot of embroidery techniques and craft techniques and all that sort of stuff because I, I you know they've been around me all my life. Um, so when I was at TAFE, uh, I was making these wire dresses actually. Um, so I was doing this thing where I was trying to connect the dress to. Like I bought these dresses in Cobar, which is a copper mining town, and I was working with this grid, this gridded mesh. And the fir- my first thought was, oh, I wonder if you could do embroidery with this because it's it's a grid. Um, so I sat down and played with it, and I sort of found out that I could do these embroidery techniques. And so I sort of made one of these um, hardanger pieces that my Alma had given me, or my mother had given me, um, I did half of I sort of tried to mimic it and mm-hmm. make a big version of it. And, um, yeah, so I, I probably thought I was never going to do that again after I finished that one um, and then just thought, okay, um, later on, well, how can I play with, play with this? And I, it's a great um, sort of the material. I love the material, the materiality of the whole piece can, feeds into the idea of also um, – adaption and and that sort of thing and okay that's what I kept on thinking of that change between my grandmother to me and she she came to Australia from Holland so she would have had to adapt and change and and mm-hmm. all the, you've got the heritage um, part of it as well and sort of inheriting these techniques from and again you're back to action and repetition and yeah. and that's what fascinates me with with that sort of work too is that that repetition of action and so you sit there and go um, this is slightly different, but I'm pretty much doing the same action that my Alma was doing and my mother. And, and so you realise those actions are sort of inherited. And so was that transposition, that first work? Uh, no, the first work I actually called My Mother's Hands. Okay. So because that's what I was thinking of a lot um, was that, you know, the hands doing all the, the work. Yes, the, the, my graduating piece was transposition. So that was when I was actually trying to push it into 3D. Mm-hmm. Um, so it had been very flat. I'd done a couple of pieces where I'd sort of mutated things, uh, <laughs> um, changed things slightly. But, uh, yeah, that, trans, that transposition work was when I was trying to, how do I, how do I make this slightly more immersive than just this sort of flat thing against a wall? So, yeah. 
Yeah, wonderful. And then you had Mutagenesis, yes, which was in uh, Artisan and yeah. Fortune Valley. Yeah, yeah. Um, why that title? And tell me about Mutagenesis as sort of again a progression of yeah. this practice. So that was again where I really wanted to push that mutation thing. So and I called it Mutagenesis because because it's sort of like the creating of of mutations. Yes. Like I was, I, um, which is a, a, te- a science technique as well. So you can. Cre- something I do a heap where I'll create a mutation in, in a gene so I can make an enzyme with slightly different properties. Um, Does that tend to be with mice? Or no, no, mice? I don't work with mice. No, that's right. That's right. We had this discussion a few days ago. You don't work with mice. Um, no, this is all, like I do it all uh, just with the genetics and then I chuck it into E. coli and they, that makes my proteins for me. So um, Good old E. coli. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So much nicer than mice. Um, Less <laughs> stinky, easy, easier to kill. Yeah, <laughs> yes, just need some bleach. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I was that. That's why I was working. So I, that mutagenesis piece was sort of like, what would happen if you had like a piece of embroidery that just sort of started mutating and changing and and yeah and and the artisan window, I sort of was slightly limited because I knew like a flat piece would look really good in that. So I sort of tried to expand it out using this. Um, and that was a fun piece to make because I literally would just go every time I started a new section, oh, what am I going to do here? Like I rarely planned them. They usually sort of come. Just, and they would emerge. Yeah, it will merge out of whatever I'm doing. Like I, obviously they're planned to a certain size or something, but um, I'll just... It also, it make, keeps it interesting. Yeah, you're defining <laughs> the constraints, but yes. not the nature of it until yeah, it that's happens. Right. Just, yeah. I mean, that's basically how genetic mutation yeah. happens. Yeah, that's anyway. right. Yeah. So, and and um and I do love that idea of things um mutate slightly mutating, especially when you've got some, some like embroidery, uh, old fashioned embroidery, embroiderers guilds in sort of embroidery is very often very symmetrical, very you know, it's got a, it's defined, it knows what it's going to look like, whereas this sort of was sort of merging out of that and breaking away. That was where I was going with that piece, yeah. Wonderful. Well, um, we have somewhat conveniently ended on a lovely bit where we've tied your science and your art together at at a sort of state of finality and we're hitting about 40 minutes, which is fantastic. This has been a great, (laughs) great chat. Um, If people want to find out, more about you, which I'm sure they will. Where can they find you on the internet? Uh, I have a blog slash website. Um, it's uh, often if you just Google my name, Jeanette, yep, Jeanette Stock, Stock, it's the easiest way to get there. Just go past all the UQ research and stuff. Yep. <laughs> S-T-O-K. Um, yeah, that's the best way to find me. Yeah. Wonderful. I, have, I do have an Instagram, but that's also Nettie Stock, N-E-T-I-S-T-O-K. Wonderful. Hey, thanks so much for sitting down talking art and science with me. That's okay. (laughs) The House Conspiracy podcast is produced at House Conspiracy by me, Jonathan O'Brien, and Tyler William Morrison. Mixing and editing by Tyler William Morrison. And music by the Reverend Isha Ramdas. If you'd like to support House Conspiracy, you can do so at houseconspiracy.org slash donate. And you can learn more about what we offer here at houseconspiracy.org. Thanks for listening.